We are continuing in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, and we're at question 101 now. So this is the section where we learn about prayer, and especially about petitions in prayer. Prayer is an offering up of our desires to God for the things that are agreeable to His will, as we have seen before. We can know what is agreeable to His will and what we ought to pray for, by looking at the instruction and direction that we have in the Bible, and especially by looking at the Lord's Prayer, which is a summary that the Lord has given us. Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer to teach us what we ought to be praying for. So that means that we should give attention to it and make sure that our prayers include the things that are in the Lord's Prayer. It is for this reason that the Catechism goes to the Lord's Prayer to instruct us about how we should pray, what we should pray for. So we, uh, we looked at the preference last time, and then there are these six petitions that we begin the first of today, petitions or requests, and uh, then there is the conclusion that we will do at the end. So Last time when we looked at the preface, which is our Father, which art in heaven, I showed you the great encouragement for the Christian that in Christ, God is now our Father. And that means that we have such a relation with him that he cares for us and we can expect him to have interest in us when we come with our prayers, that he is eager to respond to us, to help us, to bless us, because he loves us as his children. And then we also saw, though, the other part of that, our Father in heaven, that being in heaven means that God it, it points us to the authority that he has, to the power and sovereignty that he has. So that that also encourages us that when we do come to God, he is able to do what we ask. He's not limited in power. So when you have someone that is willing and able, that's a good combination, and we could add to that wisdom as well that, that goes with, all, with it all. So that, that is a, a real help to our prayers. When you come to God, you need to see him as the one who is both willing and able, our Father in heaven. Now today, we'll look at the first petition that Jesus gives us. It's the subject of question 101 in the Catechism. So let's confess the answer to this question together. Let me just mention that when we say that God would dispose all things to his own glory here, we're not talking about, we we, we tend to think of dispose as throwing it away. Um, But it just means that he would uh, guide the outcome of everything for his own way, that he would bring it about, dispose in that way to, to... to bring it about for his own glory. We're asking him to make everything that happens end up bringing glory to him. That's dispose all things to his own glory. So I want you to know what you're confessing here. Let me say these words. So question 101, what do we pray for in the first petition? In the first petition, which is hallowed be thy name, we pray that God would enable us and others to glorify him in all that whereby he maketh himself known and that he would dispose all things to his own glory. So my text today will simply be that, Matthew 6, 9, the part that says, hallowed be your name. 
But I do have also a related scripture reading. We already did the one from Samuel, but then I want to do uh, John 17 as well. I have chosen this reading, John 17, uh, because here we have Jesus praying that God's name would be glorified, that God's name would be hallowed as he prepares to go to the cross. It's very moving to see how the thing that he wants more than anything else as he goes to the cross is that God's name would be honored by it. That will really help us a lot if we learn to live that way. Whenever we're doing something to say, I do this for the glory of God. I mean, that helps me like if I have a whole lot of pressure and it's getting late and I'm not able to get to bed when I wish I could and and then I start to grumble and complain and, uh, and then to say, wait a minute, I'm here for God. I'm here for God's glory. Just little things like that. Wherever we are, whatever we're doing, what am I doing this for? You know, I'm here for God's glory. If things goes wrong, go wrong, I'm here for God's glory. That should be our prayer and it will change our lives if we, if we will live that way. So Jesus, you see, wants to bring glory to the Father's name to his disciples and to the world through precipitated glory that will be precipitated by him going to the cross. That's, that's the thing that he yearns for. That's the main reason, really, that he went to the cross. Yes, it was to save us, but to do that for God's glory. So listen attentively as I read to you from John 17. I'll begin in verse 1. This is the holy word of God. And let me encourage you to be an active listener, be engaged, even as the word is read, thinking of these things, what is being said here. This is the word of God. Again, the burden all the way through that God would be known in truth and be glorified. John 17, 1. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Okay, when he's going to the cross. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. 
But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am that they may behold my glory, which you have given me. For you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. And may God add a rich blessing to his holy word. This prayer certainly does show us how important it was to Jesus for the Father to be glorified by him. There is a reason that when he taught us how to pray, he began with the petition that God's name would be hallowed. It is foundational to all proper prayers. We shall see that as we go along today. But first, let's look at what it means for God's name to be hallowed. To hallow something is to sanctify it or to make it holy. Most often in our English Bibles, the word translated hallow is translated with the word sanctify. Occasionally hallow, but most of the time it's sanctify. So we could translate this, sanctify your name, hallowed be your name. The word in the original Greek text, hagiadzo, belongs to the family of words in Greek that relate to holiness, hagiasmos. In English, this family of words is translated by words such as sanctify, which means to make holy, sanctification, which is the process of making something holy, especially God's people. Saint, which refers to a holy being. Okay, Christians and angels are called saints. And then, of course, there is the word holy itself that we find in the Bible. A thing is said to be holy when it is godlike, conformed to his beauty and perfection especially in being free of sin and corruption. When we talk about holiness in this world, 
it often has to do with being free of sin corruption because sin and corruption is so commonplace in this world. When something is sanctified then, it is set apart to be conformed to God in his and his divine beauty and greatness. We were holy when God created us, beautifully conformed to God as those who bore his image. You might say that we were in perfect harmony with God's glory and purity. We were without sin. We were fit for communion with him. When we fell, we became defiled by sin, unfit for communion with God. He put us out of the garden because we were repugnant to him. He is of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look upon iniquity. Ugly beings do not belong with God. Evil is loathsome to him. It is completely incompatible with God. We had become unholy or defiled, an unclean vessel that was fit for eternal punishment and rejection. You know something about this revulsion to evil yourself. You find it abhorrent, would you not, to live with someone who is kidnapping uh, children, little children and seniors in order to torture them. You would say, oh, I, I don't really mind that. No, you, you, you wouldn't say that. It's contrary to what is beautiful, what is right, what is good. You would not tolerate it. You would refuse to live with them. You would use whatever authority you have to stop them, to turn them over to the authorities. Your sentiments don't even begin to reach the revulsion that God has toward all sin. If we knew his holiness and beauty, we would understand that God is not overreacting when he comes as a consuming fire against our sin. When we see his glory, we will be overwhelmed at how sinful we have been in the world, but we will also be overwhelmed with joy and delight that he has accepted us. We'll see that God is perfectly just to punish sin with hell because we'll see his glory. Yet despite such revulsion to us in our sin, God in his great mercy reached out to save us by sending his only son, Jesus Christ. Jesus sanctifies us or makes us holy in two ways. He sanctified us from the guilt of our sin by dying on the cross. There he was punished in our place so that we could be forgiven. Um, that sanctification is complete as soon as we believe. Okay, that sanctification. Him justifying us, making us righteous. We became righteous through Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice in his righteous life. The second way he sanctifies us has to do with the actual transformation of our character. He sanctifies us from the corruption of sin by giving us the spirit to renew our hearts and lives in holiness to conform to God. So you see that something is sanctified when it is conformed to God and his perfections, his beauty. Okay, that's what we want to see is things conformed to God's beauty, sanctified, hallowed, they're not. But this raises a question. 
Why, in this prayer, does Jesus tell us to pray that God's name would be sanctified or hallowed? You see the problem? How could God's name be hallowed or sanctified when God is already perfectly holy? Holiness permeates all that he is. He is holy in all of his ways. In fact, all of his attributes are permeated with holiness. You can put holy in front of any of his attributes. He has a holy love. He also has a holy wrath and a holy justice and a holy wisdom. His anger is a holy anger. Of course he is holy. How could he not be godlike who is himself the eternal God? In all of his perfections, God is conformed to God-likeness. He cannot be anything else but holy. So why pray for him to be hallowed or sanctified? Ah, this is where, you see, Jesus is not teaching us to pray that God would be hallowed or sanctified. What's he telling us to pray? That God's name would be hallowed or sanctified. And that's different. His name is his reputation, what people think about him, what they believe him to be. And so that changes the picture altogether because his name is not hallowed. It's often dragged through the mud. It is one thing for God to be perfectly holy and glorious. He is that, period. But it is quite another for people to regard God as holy and glorious and beautiful. For us fallen sinful creatures to see just how holy and beautiful he is. This is the passion of our prayers. Jesus is telling us to pray that God would be known as holy, that his name would be hallowed, that God would hallow his name in the world so that his glory would be seen in the world and by the world that he would make himself known as the Holy One that he is, as the one who is separate from sin and all that is defiled in this world. Ours is a world where God is not regarded as holy, where his name is not holy. So we're asking God, hallow be your name. And let me tell you, when you know God through his saving work, You yearn for his name to be hallowed. You want everyone to see the glory of the one who saved you. You love him. He is your father. And you are jealous for his honor. Through Jesus Christ, you have seen the father, as Jesus says. Like Jesus says in John 17, he has revealed the father's glory to you. Glory that the world has not seen. They don't hallow God's name. You have seen something of God's glory. He revealed the Father's holy name to you so that now you're able to see that that he is altogether lovely. How has he made this holiness known to you? Well, more than anything, he has done it by going to the cross. We've been looking at that a lot in Hebrews In the cross, you see how repugnant sin is to God, how pure he is. So repugnant that the infinite, eternal Son of God had to be cursed because of sin. 
And yet you see the marvelous mercy and love that provided for your salvation at the cross. You see the wisdom that found a way and that had the and you see the power that opened your eyes and gave you new life by the working of God's spirit to see what you could not see before. He changed you by his power. And you see the moral perfection of God revealed in Jesus Christ. Truly, as he says in John 17, he makes God's name known to us at the cross. That's what John 17 is praying for, isn't it? What he prays for in John 17. How holy and lovely and glorious our Father is in all his ways. He, is, he has, again, a holy love, a holy mercy, a holy justice, a holy anger, a holy wisdom. What honor is due to our Heavenly Father who is so lovely? The world has such wretched thoughts of God. They curse him. They use his name as a curse word. This is altogether unacceptable. Don't you ever do that as a Christian. We should never curse God's holy name. There was a a young man that was stoned for that in the Old Testament. They speak of him as unjust or as selfish or as unworthy or as weak or as detached and indifferent. They look at him as impure, of doing wrong, that he does wrong, that even that he's corrupt when he is completely opposite to all of those things. His name is degraded. And you as a Christian see that and you want his name rather to be hallowed. It's very disturbing to you to see him regarded the way he is in the world. You cannot bear to see the one that you know to be worthy of all glory and honor adorned with such perfection and beauty regarded with contempt by the world. It's offensive. You're like a woman with a wonderful husband whose husband is being unjustly slandered and maligned. You want to correct the record. You say, this is not true. What you're saying is not true. You want everyone to know how wrong they are about him because it is a grave injustice. Not only are you concerned for his honor in praying this prayer, you also want his name to be hallowed because you care about your neighbors. You know that your neighbors are missing out on what really matters. You want them to see his glory, and they don't. Perhaps there was a time when you were lost, and you didn't know him, and you know what it's like, and now you know him. And you see those who are without Christ missing out on the only thing that really matters, the only thing that can ever really satisfy them. They are addicted to their lusts. Their lusts promise them everything but they can never actually satisfy. That's why the Bible calls them deceitful lusts. They, they, they promise what is beautiful and they deliver the opposite. The Bible calls them then deceitful lusts. You want to shake them and say, and say no, the, the glory is over here. It's not in that pornography that you're gravitating to all the time. It's, it's not in that immorality that, that you're pursuing. It's not in the riches of this world. Some, of the, some things are beautiful that God has created. His whole creation is beautiful. But when we use it in a sinful and corrupt, idolatrous way, we're missing out on what is truly beautiful, God in His glory. Besides that, not only are they missing out, but you're afraid for them. They are suppressing the truth about God. They do not like to think about God as He is. 
Deep down, they know him and they know that they are repugnant to him because of their sin. So they push the truth about God away, like we also talked about this morning. You could not bear to look upon God's glory either without Jesus Christ, could you? You you would be overwhelmed. But in Jesus, you see that the perfectly holy and pure and just God is worthy of all honor, who is worthy of all honor is the same one that saves sinners. And that makes you honor him all the more. And you yearn for them to see this, for them to see this salvation so that they can come to him and worship and honor him with you. It is your desire that they would know him, what Jesus prayed for in John 17. You want God's name to be hallowed in their eyes. And then there is the church. Your brothers and sisters like you have seen something of God's glory. They have come to him in a saving way. They have seen how he is revealed. His glory is revealed in Jesus Christ. But wouldn't it be marvelous for them if they could see more of his glory? Wouldn't it be marvelous for you if you could see more of his glory? Of course you want that for them. You know that they have only just begun to see God's glorious name. And so you say for your brothers and sisters, Lord, show your glory to my brothers and sisters in the church. Open their eyes because they're dull and they don't see it. Open their eyes that they might see. And then there is you. You want God's name to be hallowed for your sake. You want his glory to be seen for your eyes. Having seen his glory through Christ, you want to see more of his glory. It's a marvelous thing about God. There are times when the knowledge of his glory, beauty, and perfection floods your soul so that it overflows. I remember when we were going through the Song of Solomon, there were times when it was just so rich and full that it was just so, so much to see of his, his glory and grace. Yet all the while, even when that's so, you know that there is so much more to see, that you're only just scratching the surface. You want his name to be sanctified in your eyes. It's important for us, brothers and sisters, to, to meditate on the things of God. Don't just rush through your devotions, but even to, to go about and think about who he is and what he's done and ask him, you know, show me your glory. I love that simple prayer of Moses in, in Exodus who had seen so much of glory, God's glory. He had seen more of God's glory than anyone else in his day. And yet Moses came before God earnestly and said, show me your glory. The man who saw the most glory of anyone was yearning more than anyone to see God's glory because he had only just begun. That's what you say when you pray for God's name to be hallowed. You're you're essentially saying, show me in a personal way, show me your glory. And you not only want to see his glory, but you also want to promote his glory. Part one of the reasons you pray this prayer is as far as related to yourself. Your chief end is to glorify God. Very first question in the catechism. And to enjoy him forever. You know that. You want to do that. You want your love for him to be seen by the way you live, by laying down your life for him and for others. You want his glory to be seen by pattering your pattering patterning your life after him, keeping his commandments, loving others as he has loved you. And you want to tell people to speak of his greatness, to have the words to say. 
You want him to help you to speak of his excellencies to your children, to your friends and relations, to anyone that will listen. You want them to be a recipient of the truth. So you see then that knowing God's holy name through Jesus makes you yearn for him to be known even more. But there is the reality that is with us all the time that God's name is not hallowed in the world. So what should you do with that desire? You should bring this desire to God in prayer. Remember, prayer is a lifting up of our desires for things that are agreeable to his will. And believe me, the petition for God to be glorified, for his name to be hallowed, is agreeable to his will. It's a desire that you should continually stir up and pour out to God. We know that we should pray for God's name to be hallowed because Jesus told us to pray for this. It's right here in the Lord's Prayer, in the very first petition. It's the head of all the petitions of the ones that he taught us in this prayer. It is the starting point of right praying to God. This assures us that it is the right thing to pray, that it is according to his will. We can pray for it in, the full, conf- in full confidence in Jesus' name, knowing that he who intercedes joins us with that prayer. We also know that we should pray for God's name to be hallowed because it is always a major focus in Jesus' prayers. We've seen that already in John 17, going to the cross. His prayer was in verse 1, glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Jesus went to the cross with that prayer. I have already shown you how more than anything else, the cross reveals the glory of God's name, all his beautiful perfections. So Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. The whole prayer in John 17 is full of the request that the Father would be known through the Son. Let's look at it a little bit. In verse 3, Jesus defines eternal life as knowing the Father, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom he has sent. So see, knowing the Father is the same as glorifying the Father. You see his glory. In verse 5, he speaks of how he had already manifested God's name to his disciples. But now at the cross, he is planning to take that manifestation of God's glory to new heights by his work on the cross. In verse 15 through 23, he prays that they would make God's glory that he has revealed to them known in all the world. And in verse 24, we see his ultimate prayer. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Surely if Jesus prayed like this, we ought to pray like this. Another place we see Jesus praying for God's name to be glorified is in the Psalms. Remember that the Psalms are the songs of Jesus Christ that he revealed through David by his spirit and that he sang when he was among us. In Hebrews 2.12, he tells us that he continues to sing praise in the assembly with his people. In Hebrews 8.2, He is even called a minister of the sanctuary, the true tabernacle which the Lord erected and not man. And the word minister there is actually the word that uh, is, is liturgist or worship leader. And the songs of praise that he gives us in his word are the Psalms. 
Over and over in the Psalms, there are petitions to God that his name would be glorified, honored, magnified. Those, those are all the same kind of requests, aren't they? It's what Jesus prays for from heaven and what we join him in praying for on earth. Here are some examples. Psalm 2511. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Jesus had no sin of his own, but as our priest, he prays for his body to be forgiven of our sins. He constantly intercedes for forgive me, he says, because like we saw, he's one with his people. And so he prays this for your name's sake, for the Father's name. Psalm 31.3, for you are my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for your name's sake, lead me and guide me. He prays that we, his church, would be guided for the sake of God's name, for the glory of God's name. These are all things that we join him to pray, you see. Psalm 79.9, help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name. And deliver us and provide atonement for our sins for your name's sake. See again the request for God's name. Psalm 115.1, we looked at uh, last week. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory because of your mercy, because of your truth. Jesus leads us to ask God that he would give glory to his name in saving, in his saving mercy and his truth. That's a, um, that's a grand thing to, to, to live that way for you to, to go about, you know, when you get proud and you start looking for your own glory, to back off and say, no, to you, not to us, Lord, but to your name be the glory. And then Psalm 143, 11, revive me, O Lord, for your name's sake, for your righteousness sake, bring my soul out of trouble. If I'm limping along in my walk with the Lord, I want to be rejuvenated for the glory of God, for the honor of our King. So you see that Jesus not only told us to pray that God's name would be hallowed, but he also earnestly prayed for this himself. How motivated you ought to be to pray this prayer with Jesus. And let me add as an additional incentive that praying for God's name to be hallowed has tremendous benefits. Do you know what the greatest benefit for praying that God's name be hallowed is? It's that God actually answers prayer. (laughs) So it will be done. Okay. Uh, What could be better than for you to know God is God. Do you pray for God to be glorified, to know him as holy and to see his glory? I tell you, there is no blessing that compares to seeing the beauty and glory of God. This is the very blessing of heaven. This is why we call heaven glory, because that's where his glory is revealed, to see the glory of God. No need of the sun there. The glory of God illuminates all things. And what could be better for the church than to see his glory? What a grand thing it is for God to be known in his church. How the saints come alive in praise and worship. Real praise and worship from the heart when God's glory is known by them through Jesus Christ. 
how they come alive also in deeds of mercy and righteousness when God's name is revealed to them. They will not allow uh, unrighteousness. They will, they will oppose that. Indeed, they become holy as He is holy. They begin to reflect the beautiful love of the Father for the Son in their own lives. And how good it is for the world when God's name is hallowed in their eyes. One of the worst things that could be said about a place is that there is no fear of God in this place. When a nation or a city or a family ceases to see the glory of God and the perfection of God, that place will become a place of sin and confusion. Not only that, but they, they begin to pursue beauty and they, they be, instead of pursuing beauty, truth, and goodness, they pursue death and drugs and fornication. The revelation of his name in a place brings many people to salvation. They see why Jesus came and they see how much they need his salvation before this holy God who cannot look upon sin. And so they flee from his wrath to the mercy that he has promised in Jesus. Their eyes are open and they are irresistibly drawn to him. Be sure that you have done that, that you have come to Jesus, that you have seen the glory of God, that you come short of his glory, a way of describing your sin, and that you have come to him to be saved. And what a marvelous thing when God's enemies see something of his glory in a place. When those like Pharaoh who defiantly say, who is the Lord that I should obey him? Find out who the Lord is that they should obey him. When those who mock the Lord are silenced and caused to tremble before his majesty and to be ashamed before his glory and beauty. When at the last day, those enemies of Christ are terrified at the very same glory that the saints will admire. They will be terrified and the saints will admire him in that day. They're brought down to their knees to declare that he is Lord because they can deny it no more. Yes, indeed, the primary benefit of praying this prayer is that God will answer it. It benefits you and the church and the world by bringing honor to God. There are also a couple of secondary benefits to praying this prayer. First, that when you pray that God's name would be hallowed, it centers your prayers. Everything we ask for ought to be for the glory of God. If we ask for our daily bread, it should be that God might be glorified in giving us our daily bread and our use of that daily bread. And in praying for healing, our desire should be that God would be magnified, whether in our sickness or in our health, that we would glorify him, whether by life or by death, whether I remain here or depart to be with him, that he would be magnified in my body. When that is the nature of our prayer, it will always be answered. If that's what you're looking for, it will always be answered. It centers your prayers in the right place. If you just pray for healing and you don't pray for the glory of God in your healing, then that prayer is not necessarily going to be answered. If you pray for the glory of God, sickness or in health, Lord, and then you know if the sickness continues that it is God's will and that you can honor him and you ask him for the grace to be able to honor him. You can continue to pray for healing too as long as is it's a possibility, but you leave it with him because your goal is to glorify God. It centers your prayers in the right way. 
And then another secondary benefit to praying that God's name would be hallowed is that it centers your life in the proper place. It helps you remember that your chief end is to glorify God and to know him in all of your ways, seeking to know who he is, to see him as you live your life. It sets us in motion also to live beautiful lives for his glory. That's my purpose. We so quickly lose sight of this purpose. But when we make it our earnest prayer, it resets us again, centers us back where we need to be. So my brothers and sisters, pray earnestly that God's name will be hallowed. This is where your prayers ought to begin. This is what you should be asking God to do more than anything else. If you're not praying for his glory, then what are you praying for? When you're praying for God's name to be hallowed, you're praying for the furtherance of God's whole purpose for creating the universe. This is a holy prayer because it is in conformity with our holy God. Please stand and let's then pray and ask him to glorify his name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. How we pray, Lord, that you would indeed glorify your name in all the earth and that this would become the honest yearning and desire of our heart and life. We waste our time if we're not seeking your glory, if we go to work and we're not seeking your glory, if we go to recreation and we're not seeking your glory. If we get married and we're not seeking your glory, if we go to speak to someone about your kingdom, even if we do that and we're not looking for your glory, then we have missed the mark. Father, we pray that in all things, that when we face trials, when we get bad news, that we would want your glory to be seen and known. That when we have a hard task like the Lord Jesus did of going to the cross, that our desire would be that through that you would be glorified and honored. Father, we pray that we would see a lot more of your glory because when we do, it will make us want to see yet more. We pray, Father, that we would be very earnest in praying for one another about this. It would change us so much, Lord, because you do answer our prayers. And Lord, we would confess that we often have not had this as a the, the, the strong element of our prayers that it ought to be. We pray that you would help us to change and that it would be also the way that we live. Lord, thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that in him we have the forgiveness of sins despite all of our shortcomings and that we can come to you and look for you to do more work. We remember Moses at the golden calf and that's when afterward he prayed that you would that you would show him your glory. And you did. And we praise you for that. We praise you that now we have seen even more than Moses saw in our Lord Jesus Christ in his coming. And we pray that as we look upon him revealed there, that we would see more and more of the glory that is there revealed, that your name would be magnified. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
our song of response is Psalm 96a. Blessing of the Lord. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever, and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.